G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. A rare opportunity today to discuss the challenges, the dangers and the strategic ways the Christian church reaches out to developing nations where there is widespread poverty and only a small Christian population. The focus of our conversation will be on a South Asian nation where there are more than 160 million people. The major religion is Islam and the official language is Bengali. There are frequent natural disasters, widespread poverty, 74 identifiable ethnic groups and it's increasingly challenging to be a Christian. But our special guest today is not put off by the enormity of his mission. He's based in the nation of Bangladesh, and he sees his nation as a land of opportunity to be salt and light in communities and to share the good news about Christ. Peter Mazumda has for the past 25 years been the General Secretary of the Bible Students Fellowship of Bangladesh. It's part of the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, and that's an organization that operates in 161 countries around the world. It is a ministry that's also operating in universities all around Australia. Peter Mazumda, I want to make a special welcome to you to 2020. Thank you. I should say, Peter, that earlier this year, we actually had you scheduled to be our guest on 2020. And uh, towards the last minute of that, I remember receiving news that you were not able to make it on your visit to Australia. And the reason why you weren't able to be here is that you were attacked in a very significant way by Muslim people in Bangladesh. I wonder if you can just give us a little recount of that story because uh, this is very significant for us. Oh Yes, I just um, planned to come here, but the day I was coming from the local bus uh, during the time of Ramadan, and there was a fasting, they break the fasting, and I was in, in the bus and I found this few um, Muslim people are surrounded by, but I did not know that they have planned. They had the plan to give me some food, offered me food. Three times I just um, uh, refused, but fourth time, while in our culture, if they again and again, if they ask food, so I took the food. It was inside a poison, so I within a two three minutes I was senseless and I was admitted hospital for three and a half days. And they have taken all my uh, money and my bags and credit card and driving license. By the grace of God, uh, it recovered, but it is a painful experience for my life. This is the first time it's happened. But in Bangladesh, these kind of things is happening frequently during the time of Ramadan. And any people group, they are attacked. If they are targeted, that this people person has a uh, some bag and some money or something, they are targeting and they just attack them. Same way I, I had that bad experience in month of May. 
So you were attacked by being offered food. Now, for some people will say, well, it's interesting if you were attacked by a group and they just had the intention to rob mm. you. But you were on a bus and these were clearly people who were Muslim people because they were dressed mm. for Ramadan. Yeah. And it's not courteous to reject being offered food. And so it becomes a way that they can actually rob you if the food that they give to you is poisoned. Now, as I understand it, they use snake poison, snake venom in in the food. Yes. So you didn't find this out until after you'd been in hospital and they'd done some tests. Yeah. Especially that time, during the Ramadan time, uh, food is offered. It's a, we call holy Ramadan. And that time, if somebody offered food, it's very difficult to reject. So that sub kind of courtesy, I have taken the food. Then within one or two minutes, I became senseless. After three and a half days, while my sense came out, I realized that something happened in my life. Wow. Well, this is the start of a conversation about our attitude to reaching out into nations where, as I said in our introduction, oftentimes there is real danger. And our attitudes are important here. Uh, Peter, you've been General Secretary of the Bible Students Fellowship of Bangladesh now for a quarter of a century. Uh, You've seen developments over that time. I suggested in the introduction it's getting harder and harder to be a Christian. How do you describe Bangladesh as to the way that you can be a Christian there? As a Bangladeshi, you know, our constitution is very much clear that any religion can share their faith. So that way, and we are very free, but practically, while we share our faith, it's very difficult and the persecution is coming again and again. So as a uh, majority Muslim country, um, people in, dominated by them, we are minority out of 160 million 92% are Muslim and we are less than 1%. As soon you share the gospel, you are targeted. As soon as you speak up, share your testimony mm. and the good news yes. about Jesus Christ being Savior of the world, mm. uh, then you become a target. Mm. It's like you walk around and you're looking over your shoulder, wondering if there's someone there to attack you. Mm. Uh, how does it feel to be targeted when you are known to be a Christian? As a Christian, no, we are, we call a minority, but we have a good testimony. And especially while they come to know that we believe the Trinitarian concept, we believe the sonship of Jesus Christ, that is the attitude of them that they are having some kind of enemic reaction that the which one they think that is a blasphemy against their belief. So that way we are targeted. Now, what I'm absolutely fascinated by, and I think listeners will really respond to our conversation today, uh, with this idea that if you're in a land like Bangladesh and everything seems to be against you, this is a tough place to be, and yet people will hear something in your heartbeat when you say this is a land of opportunity, it's almost like, oh, I've found the golden shores. This is where God has planted me. How do you see Bangladesh as a land of opportunity? You know, that's every 
square kilometer in Bangladesh, the size of Bangladesh, 1400 people living. You know, there is a big mission field to share the gospel. That way you can say it's a big opportunity that we have to take uh, uh, this kind of opportunity in a positive way and make the strategy that people will come to the Lord. Now, as I note, uh, Bangladesh is listed on the Open Doors World Watch List. It's at number 41. So uh, there is significant persecution against Christians. Your own story bears that out, uh, having taken that food, uh, poisoned with snake poison, three days in hospital. Uh, There are 74 different ethnic groups, and I'm sure you can't speak 74 languages. So... (laughs) (laughs) The people that you like to reach out to, the people that you are discipling and training, they're coming from all of these different ethnic groups. So when we talk about a strategy of how you, as a Christian in just less than 1% of the population, are reaching out to a nation of 160 million, you've got to be into a discipleship strategy. We're going to talk some more about strategy today, but uh, but this is really, this is a strategy that Jesus gave us to disciple people. how do you see that responsibility? Uh, that is actually obvious that we just, our main hero is Jesus Christ. And the last commandment, go and make disciple. And by any means, we have to do what Jesus is commanded. So uh, this is a great opportunity in the big country. Even we are small, um, a tiny population, but we can impact through our conversation. And you know, there are strategies that we are thinking about that one-to-one evangelism. And the conversation, while the opportunity comes, we share our faith, how we believe, why we believe. And that kind of opportunity, while the come among the ethnic groups, and we found that all over Bangladesh, the ethnic groups are coming, they are educating, and that area we are reaching, and especially we um, Bible Society, Bangladesh Bible Society, Yotite Mission, SIL, they research that many people groups, they don't have their Bible in their mother tongue. So while this the thing happening, we prayed about that, we discussed with the group two years, and finally we have taken the responsibility to do the Bible translation project among different ethnic groups. That way, We are contributing the ethnic groups in Bangladesh. Here's another plank in the strategy of reaching a large nation and you're only a small population. You've got to get the Bible into the language that the people speak. And with 74 different ethnicities within Bangladesh, that's a huge, huge task. Are there projects, Peter, uh, that are dealing with Bible translation in all of those different language groups? Uh, Not yet, because... While Bible Society, SIL um, research, and the research came out that we have 74 groups, but immediately 10 people groups need Bible. So out of that, these 10 people groups we are highlighting and we are working right now. Okay, so there's a long way to go when it comes to that Bible translation. And no doubt, when you come across someone who speaks 
your language, as well as one of these languages in other ethnic groups, uh, they're a little bit like gold. It's like uh, yeah. God has created another divine encounter mm. because that's someone who may be able to participate in that Bible translation. Now, you, when, you, when you're doing Bible translation, I assume that while help from outside of Bangladesh is important, the people who are going to be really responsible for doing that Bible translation are going to be people who speak those languages. So yeah. these are the ones you're working with. How hard is it to reach a point where someone has come to Christ, is going through early discipleship, and on a passageway to their own growth and development when they can actually translate the Bible? I'm imagining that's actually quite a process. Yes, that is a process. That's why we just came... Um, um, to the conclusion that we visited some churches and we had a sort, lots of dialogue. And then we identified those people, those who have heart to see that they have Bible, their mother tongue. And then we selected out of many ethnic groups, only 22 uh, uh, committed uh, Bible translator, translator who come to as our workshop and some friends from Australia, from Brisbane and other areas, they are coming as a consultant as an English teacher, and they just help in this process. And few are coming to teach Greek, Hebrew, English. Then it's a, like a, not a very easy process, but by the grace of God, by doing, we are learning, and the work is going fast. So when someone comes, say, from Australia, whether it's Wycliffe or SIL or the Bible Society, they come more as a consultant. Yes. Uh, they're not turning up actually to do the Bible translation no. because you have to know uh, not only the language, but you have to understand the culture because mm -hmm. getting the right interpretation is going to be important. Yes. But I imagine the consultant comes in and they've got their understanding of Greek language and of Hebrew language and Aramaic language mm -hmm. and, you know, these original languages of the Bible. And so there's a major process consultation in order to make sure that the translation is right because you don't want a wrong uh, translation of the bible so even that you've got to keep a close eye on yes especially you no know, without consultation consultant it is very difficult for us to move forward those people speaking their mother tongue we just selected them and the consultant sit with them and there is a very good system and that way we are doing the Bible translation every workshop. And now um, uh, every time while I finish, we just approach to the Bible Society and they are able to give the ISBN number for printing. And that way we have a good system uh, to do the Bible translation. And the consultants always, they don't know their language, but the way they are helping us to understand the original meaning from Greek from Hebrew, then original grammar of English, and that's help our Bangladeshi ethnic groups, those who are doing Bible translation, to do the proper way in uh, Bible translation in their mother tongue. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. A wonderful privilege to have Peter Mazumda in the studio with us today. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316, talking about the sorts of strategies you think ought to be employed if you're going to reach out to a large nation which is predominantly not Christian, and you're taking the gospel to that nation. You want to see people who are converted 
to to Christianity. Well, Peter Mazumda is our guest. He's General Secretary of the Bible Students Fellowship of Bangladesh. And Peter, uh, as we talk about the strategies and the sorts of things that would be in a foundation for how you'd reach a large nation, and when you're only the minority, less than 1% Christian in Bangladesh, you're working strategically with people who are university students. How does all that work? Especially universities, students are very much open for conversation. And especially as a Muslim country, they like to hear the conversation should be their their own language. Their language is different, like they can understand more like Arabic way. So the conversation while we start, we the way we just speak that they should be more appreciated. So university students, while we go, we immediately we don't share our faith. Immediately, we make our relationship with each students, and that is the strategy we just making um, last few years. And the students from the university students, while the friendship began, the conversation doors is open, and that way we bring the students to the different Bible study groups, evangelistic groups, as an enquirer, and that open the door to share the gospel. So you've got university students who are probably doing something like a four-year university degree, and they're studying a degree. Maybe they're becoming doctors or lawyers mm-hmm. or engineers, all the sorts of things that people study at university. And you're no doubt looking for those first-year students because you've got three or four years then to be able to disciple and to prepare those students to go into their leadership roles into the future, but they'll carry with them Christian faith. So if you're looking to win a nation, you've got to be able to look to the leaders of the future as being carriers of the gospel. This is such a powerful concept. Yes. Especially, you know, those are in the university students. In Bangladesh, is a different scenario that we are not uh, permitted to have an university campus group that's why the students are making friendship and then they bring the students a particular place where the churches are open, some hostels are open, some schools are open. That way, the conversation we start. And even we have some call, place called Student Friendship Center. Some churches, they started the center in order to learn English, music, at the same time, while people are very much interested in when present student, university student about modern music. So music is helping and some teachers, some those who are very good music teacher from US, they come and they help as a volunteer. And that helped to connect with the students, university students from non-Christians. They come to learn the music, to learn English. Then at the same time, we have opportunity to share the gospel. I know that there'll be some listeners who'll be interested in the idea that you have a university campus ministry, but you're not allowed to actually be on campus. So, uh, so you actually you hold these these gatherings, these meetings, uh, drawing these young people together who are studying at university off campus. You're not allowed yes. to be on campus. What happens if you were to show your face uh, too strongly on campus? That need permission. 
you know, especially the student um, 20 years back, the students can do the open politics. And here, if there is any big gathering, they think that we are talking about the against the present government. That's why in order to protect the scenario, uh, not for Christian, for everybody have the same system. We, If we have, want to make a Christmas program, we need to go and apply three months before to the vice chancellor. And whether we'll get permission or not, but normally we get, but it's a long process. That's why uh, big gatherings are not uh, appreciatable by the uh, university authorities. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. You might like to join our conversation today as we're talking strategies of how you reach really large uh, unreached nations. And you could say that uh, that Bangladesh with less than 1% Christian uh, is a nation that has a big potential for Christian mission into the future. Let's take a call. George is on the line from Liverpool in New South Wales. Hello, George. Welcome along. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, thank you for taking the call. I've got just one comment to make when it comes to translating the scriptures. Sure. It is not, strictly speaking, an intellectual exercise to translate the scriptures. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. I am not an Englishman. English is not my first tongue. It's not my mother's tongue. I can speak Assyrian, which is an ancient language, and read it, Arabic the same. But when I read the King James Version, I read it with such clarity. So let's allow the Holy Spirit to do His work and not turn this an exercise of intellect and that are certain words were translated wrong. There is no wrong translation of the Scripture, because the spirit of the Scripture is what matters, not certain words. And the message of the Scripture is not lost. George, wonderful uh, comment you're making here. Excuse me, sir. The spirit of the Scripture is not lost if you say uh, Christ spoke of a thick rope rather than a camel. The spirit of the scripture, the meaning of the scripture, the meaning of what Christ said is not compromised, not in any sense. No, absolutely so not. And uh, I know what you're saying here because there's this concept in Bible translation, which we'd call a dynamic equivalent. And uh, the dynamic equivalent is the cultural understanding that is based on the original uh, uh, manuscripts, uh, whether it goes back to the Hebrew or the Greek or the Aramaic. I wonder whether, let's get a, a comment here from Peter and uh, your thoughts for George. Norma, I, as George, you said, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely right. And I believe 100%. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, we cannot move. But, you know, a whole world, more than 4,415 languages still not able to get their Bible in their mother tongue. So that way we are just um, just selected. We prayed about that and the churches are given some volunteers to serve. And they are the main source who speak their mother tongue. And the original um, meaning of the translation from the Bible, we are not twisting. We are trying to understand. Consultants are helping in this area. That way we are doing. But Holy Spirit is working that's why we are moving forward. Yeah. George, uh, you've, got, you've got my full understanding there, because if you go to the Amazon jungles, the tribes there, first yes. you've got to form their language into a grammatical context, yeah. 
then to be able to translate. And that is, again, you need the Holy Spirit there. It's not a question of intellect. Yes, yes, that's true. You are right. George, wonderful to hear from you. Thank you so much for great input. And as we know, if we're just finishing off this part of the conversation, I guess you could do an ad hoc translation fairly easily. Someone could sit down and say, uh, I'll take the Gospel of John or uh, any of the Gospels, and you could very quickly do a translation into what you think that the Scripture is saying. But if you want to do a really determined and quality translation according to the sorts of standards that might hold for generation beyond generation, then you have to pay extra special attention. This is where the expertise that comes from the likes of Wycliffe or SIL or the Bible Society is so important. A quick response on that, Peter. Yes. We are not doing, <laughs> we are not doing our own because those who are expertise last 25 years, 30 years, they are helping in different countries. They come and help in this area. Just before we move on and looking for more strategies, more planks, more of those things that will be absolutely essential when you are a small minority and you're looking to reach a big nation. So I want to invite listeners to participate in the conversation. The talkback line open 1-800-316-316 or leave a note on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Just to pick up on what we were talking about just before the news, in case there's any confusion here, because the work of translating the Bible so that people in those 74 different ethnic groups have the Bible in their language, this is one of the primary things. If you're going to reach a nation in a sustainable way, people have to have the scriptures in their language. And uh, just to clear up if there's any confusion about that, of course, the work of the Holy Spirit is necessary when you're doing a translation process, but there's all sorts of other things that are contributing into there. And, of course, overall, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. But to make things right and proper and with integrity, this is what you're working with. Yes, especially the there is a, some system while the people from mother tongue uh, consultant, they just, just bring their work of this then the consultant checked everything everything is done and we just get permission from united bible society and that united bible society they also visited our people and the way we are working there is a some system that we need isbn number to print and there is a very um honest and clarity is there there will be a system that everybody should uh, get this approval, even not only Bangladesh. It is United Bible Society is approving our work. It's a very big uh, area that we cover. So there is a good system and integrity and all this authority we just do with the, with the partnership of SIL and Bangladesh Bible Society and United Bible Society. Well, of course, all of these bodies, as listeners will appreciate, want to put forward a uh, a work that is based in integrity. And, of course, uh, if they didn't have integrity, I mean, the reputation that they have built over hundreds of years hmm. uh, would be uh, in some ways in tatters. But uh, their reputation is so good because of this consultancy, because of the attention to the detail. And, of course, anyone 
will appreciate that if you're going to translate the Bible into a modern language today, you have to be able to bridge the gap of uh, that thousands of years mm. uh, so that you've got, say, if you're talking about a New Testament book, uh, you've got first century culture. You've got mm. a context of the culture, a context of the literary form. Mm. Uh, you want to be able to work with the original languages where you can to make sure that the work that you're producing actually has integrity and will be able to sustain generation after generation of having an appreciation of the Word of God in its integrity. We're talking about different planks, different cultural uh, strategies to be able to reach a large nation. Let's talk about another one. And Peter, I know that you want to be good citizens in the land of Bangladesh. Uh, Tell us about the way that you approach your citizenship in the nation. Even though we are, we call is minority, but we are a good citizen of Bangladesh and even Bangladesh government is giving very good uh, appreciation as a tiny community, as a Christian. And they are appreciating what we are doing service, we are doing for the communities, the school, the hospitals, the universities. Many Christian universities are leading by the Christians. Even though we are tiny, but as a citizen of God, and we are contributing for the country, and we have a peace and harmony with this, with the government. Government are giving more appreciation, which we have right now. So we are thankful to God that we live in a peace and harmony. And I think no doubt it takes a long time to be able to nurture this good relationship Mm. with government. And no doubt there are those who were before you, but Mm. you've taken up the mantle and you've gone on to try and nurture those good relations as Mm. well. Yes. You know, normally, you know, the uh, uh, this month we have a coming time, we have election. Even though the election time six of Bangladeshi's Christians are able to get some opportunity to compete the election. So this is a great opportunity that even though we are minority, but we are giving identity as a citizens of Bangladeshi to contribute for the nations. So how long does it take to be able to instill those sorts of values of good citizenship into those people that are coming to Christ uh, for the first time and they're getting discipled uh, effectively, I must say, by you and your team? How long does it take to have those values transferred into the life of that individual so that they are already on that, uh, that pathway to good citizenship? You know that uh, we just um, always believe that Second Timothy, Second uh, Chapter Two, Verse Two, the thing we learned, and we are passing to the faithful man and woman who can pass this the thing to others. So that will take time, and this discipleship is lifelong process, which we have to do ourselves, and we need is a continuous process. It's a lifelong process. For the uh, to pass this vision to others, you're quoting uh, Paul's words to Timothy, and for listeners, mm. uh, two Timothy chapter two and verse two, and the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. This is something at the heart of what discipleship is about, yes. isn't it? Yeah, and no doubt you've got to nurture a level of trust. 
when you are the person who is doing the discipling, uh, because the one who is being discipled by you needs to trust you uh, that the things that you're saying have integrity and that you have their best interests at heart. And for them to go out then and to face the world in Bangladesh, knowing the sort of courage that will be required to be a Christian there, this really demonstrates the depth of the wonderful relationship you must build with your people. Mm. Yes, that's true. That's why our relationship built up is take time and they are trusting us and they are just looking that the person we just following is that person demonstrating the love of Jesus. And that coming through Jesus to us, then we are passing this same integrity to our student leaders. Okay, let's move on to another foundation, another plank in the platform that will make a good, strong opportunity to reach a large nation when you are in a minority. This is the way that you train up pastors and evangelists, and you like to do that uh, with training camps and uh, all sorts of seminars. Uh, Give us some impression about how you actually go about doing that training. Especially, you know, while the new believers come to the Lord, especially they are very blind in their spiritual formation. And from the beginning, we disciple them, daily walk with Jesus. Every day they just connect with Jesus to read the Bible, to pray with Jesus. So that way from the foundation, we found the new believers, while they come, their family, they said, we need some education, especially children should learn. So we are targeting that one Children, one family come to the Lord. The children should come to our Sunday school at least 10 years. And the foundation will build up. They will not never forsake Jesus. That way, we are nurturing at least 10 years to the children. At the same way, the older generation, we give training twice a year or three times a year how to disciple them. So that way, many churches are doing. And our students meeting, we call them and we bring them in different Capacities, regional evangelistic conference, then national evangelistic conference. Then we give training about training on Bible studies and leadership training, discipleship training that empowering them to be salt and light for their local community and churches. Peter, all of that sounds so complicated. How much time does a typical disciple who's under your care uh, take each week or, you know, amidst their busy study schedule? I'm sure that uh, university students are very busy in what they're doing with their studies. Everyone who's been to university knows how busy you are. Mm. Uh, How much time are people committing to actually be a part of this discipleship program? That one, actually, they come every week for one and a half hours and the discipleship program they come for 12 days during their vacation and also leadership training they come another week uh, to we have a wider fellowship they come that way uh, we have a touch every week because we encourage them to go to the local churches but they come every week uh, to come to our fellowship I know we could learn some lessons from the way you have that attitude towards that discipleship training of the children. And uh, you're saying that as a a future endeavor to be able to reach a nation in a significant way, you have to be able to train up your children Mm. in the ways of the Lord. And and so there's obviously a very determined effort there uh, to be able to train the children. Mm. Yes. Yeah, that is very significant. You know, while the parents, the new believers come, their main 
um, request to our church chairs that could you help in our student uh, children to train them that they will never forsake Jesus. So that way is a wonderful opportunity to start a preschool. Then they are getting ready to the government school. That time is the cream time. They learn from the word of God. They learn from the book of some new songs and they never forget what their foundation from the age of 5 to 15. Wow. Uh, Let me ask you about a significant word which is so important when you face some of the dangers that you do in a nation like Bangladesh. Uh, this word courage. I know that, uh, you know, you've got to have a certain backbone. You've got to be strong in what you believe in order to be able to have the courage to uh, live as a Christian and then to go on and be someone who will, uh, with with courage, share your faith. Uh, give us some insights into what you see as the courage in the people that you work with, Peter. Especially as a whole, while I first came our student ministry in our city, the neighbor came to my house and they said, can I keep some money to you? Because um, we as a, we observe as a Christians are very honest. I And then he said that I said, no, no, you keep in bank. They said Christians are more trustworthy than the bank. Wow. And that encourages me and that kind of testimony from outsider and new Christians, I just came in our organization, the new offices, that kind of word by hearing, it's very much encouraged me. And the opportunities I find, like in Bangladesh, all Bangladeshi citizens, people are very hospitable. And if if you go, they will immediately offer a cup of tea. And that help us to connect with them and make the relationship. And that is a very courageous way. Even though have, they have no food, but they will offer you a cup of tea. That is the courage I found that they are very hospitable in Bangladesh. I'm sure that makes your job a whole lot easier because uh, of the Bangladeshi culture uh, and yes. the hospitality. And so many nations around the world have such wonderful hospitality. Mm. And they won't be asking, you know, whether you're a Christian, whether you're a Muslim, mm. they'll just op- offer that, uh, that hospitality. Yeah. Let me ask you about, uh, it's interesting when you talk about finances and how some people in Bangladesh actually see Christians as more trustworthy than the bank. Mm, yeah. And so can you please look after my money? And that's a very dangerous thing to, <laughs> to do that because not every Christian is going to be as trustworthy as what their thoughts are. Yeah. Uh, But let me ask you about money for a few moments because I know that one of the strategies that you would have uh, would be that you'd be self-sustaining, that people within Bangladesh would be supporting the ministry. Uh, Undoubtedly, there'll be uh, those sorts of calls from time to time and uh, perhaps even making some new friends in Australia on this visit where people can be a supporter for you. But I know that you want to see those university students that you're working with uh, become not only advocates for the gospel, uh, but also ones who would see the value in the ministry that has raised them up. And you want to see those university graduates who'll be the higher earners in Bangladesh into the years to come to actually be the ones who'll sustain the work that you're involved in. How do you see the finances and and what what it will take to reach a whole nation of 160 million people? Especially those who, who we disciple them, most of the 
people now the organization executive and they are what you said you are right they are earning lots of money and while they got this discipleship from our organization now they are paying back to us and that is a great encouragement for us to see their um faithfulness and they are they are paying back for their we call tea time talent and treasure most of our evangelistic event they give their time and what expertise they have they are using and they are giving teaching to our present students generation and also they to give their treasure while we have a evangelistic events that way we are moving on sustainability and we just recently not recently is long term prayer and we are doing some bible translation work in our living water center also many people are coming that to use that one with that revenue we gets all the cost from that we get income and we just give all the salaries from that and out of that we just make a policy that out of that 10% will go for other ministries like bhutan pioneering work we are doing we just give the money from our local income to them and it's like john stuart taught us the grace of giving if you give god will bless more than what you have right now so that principle we are going and god is really blessing us and we are moving to sustainability of course we can apply that to our own churches in yes. here in australia too our time talent and treasure uh, those are the sorts of things that sustain any group, any Christian mission opportunity. And uh, to use your time effectively uh, and in serving with your time, to serve with your talent, because everyone comes with a different gift uh, into their church mm-hmm. setting, and then bringing your treasure, because uh, God has given to us a principle of the tithe, and it is a sustaining principle uh, that endeavors to uh, to see the, uh, the, the growth of the mission continue to function and to be an influence being an influence on the nation this is often the big challenge and when you come from a small minority less than one percent of the population how big a challenge is this for the future peter because you'll want to be an influence on the nation you'll want to see eventually i know no doubt uh, people uh, elected to political office uh, mm. taking high uh, high office in in governance in towns communities in cities this would be something of a dream for the future mm. especially for me that i'm dreaming that we would like to approach in holistic way that means we like to see the as a citizen of the country the government and other people are very much appreciating if we have some kind of social awareness at the same time we have some spiritual discipline so that way we are moving forward we started some um, work among uh, the neighbors who are in garments worker in our living water center near nearby 6500 garments workers are there so we are making a clinic that in order to bless them to be salt and light as a christian how they are helping not find directly sharing the gospel sharing love of jesus even jesus while he fed he taught the people crowd but at the same time he understood the need he fed 5000 people so that way we would like to be a model as an organization like holistic mission That one is our future goal. 
I know we've only got a few minutes left in our conversation now. The way that Australian listeners to this conversation will hear what you're saying, I know there'll be some who are very excited about the work that you're doing in Bangladesh, some who are even looking for another mission opportunity to add to perhaps other missions that they're supporting. And I imagine that you are looking for some new friends, uh, looking for people who might be able to support prayerfully as well as financially and to connect with the sort of mission opportunity that you have for the future. Uh, How can people help to accelerate the work? Now, as we've been talking, you know, you've got a, you've got a strategy there to be self-sustaining. But when help comes from overseas, no doubt that has a big impact because you can accelerate the work you're doing. Mm. Not only are you going to open one uh, clinic, but you want to open 10 clinics. So accelerating that work's important. How do you hope that people might be receiving the things that you're saying today? Yeah, this uh, big challenge for me, and it's a long-term vision God has given to me. And while I just raised locally lo- small amount of money, it's, it's take years to complete. First, I need to see that Australian people, they can pray about this and God can open many doors for us. And if they are able to uh, partner with us, we are very happy to be part of this journey, especially financially also, in order to see that the our we just uh, would like to see that bless the neighbors to see, complete the clinic. It's also huge task for me. So if there is anything God can speak to anybody in Australia, we would be li- love to be partner with them and financially support for this ministry. Well, Peter Mazumda, just wonderful getting an update with you today. Uh, Peter is General Secretary of the Bible Students Fellowship of Bangladesh. It's part of the wider International Fellowship of Evangelical Students operating around the world, and its ministry actually operates in universities all around Australia as well. But an opportunity here for listeners, you might have really captured something of Peter's heart today, and I want to point you to the website where you can make contact with Peter. It's the Bible... Uh, Students Fellowship of Bangladesh website. And all you've got to do is remember the initials of that. B-S-F-B stands for the Bible Students Fellowship of Bangladesh. B-S-F-B.org. That's B-S-F-B.org. Peter Mazumda, just wonderful hearing your heartbeat. And uh, we're glad you're still on your feet We're glad you're still alive after that poisoning attack earlier this year and uh, appreciate you and look forward to another time when we can catch up. But thanks for being with us again today on 2020. Thank you very much. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.